Covenant family. Everybody doing all right today? Come on, if you're excited to be in church with your family, let's give the Lord a hand. Love worshiping with you guys. Good to see you. Woo! Well, uh, happy opening weekend of college football holiday. <laughs> also known as Labor Day weekend, uh, but that's kind of a second thought, I think. But uh, this is a, it's an awesome weekend. Beautiful day out, right? Man, thank you guys for coming to church. You guys, you're like real Christians and stuff. Like, you could be out at a lake or somewhere else. Honestly, though, I was, I was praying that this would be like the hottest day in the history of our church. We'd all be in here sweating like we were last weekend. Uh, so that when we move over to the new building, you're going to be so much more thankful. Just like, oh my goodness, thank God we're out of that place. This is the last service, well, second to last service, I guess, in this building that we'll ever have as a church. And, and that, that is a bittersweet thing. And uh, I'll say even in the first service, people weren't sure. It's like, do we clap there or do we cry there? Like, what do we do there? And, uh, and I get that. My wife will tell you I'm not the most sentimental person ever, but when I do think about everything that God has done here, it, it is a little difficult to keep it together, honestly. So today I want to share a little bit of my heart, and hopefully I'll be able to get through it without embarrassing and losing my man card. But, but I want to start by talking about chairs. Uh, this, is, this is one of the chairs that we've, we've had here for the last five and a half years as a church. And uh, it's got wax on it because some of you don't know how to hold your candle straight. <laughs> During candlelight services, I don't know what's so tough about that, but uh, little flakes of glitter. <laughs> Probably from a VBS, which is one of the reasons why this particular chair will be destroyed. <laughs> I think you even see a couple of cat hairs on there, which means we still receive lost people all the time, people that obviously don't know what the will of God is. I'm joking. I'm sure this chair has seen a lot of our pens stolen from the back of it at different points. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably some boogers on the underside of this chair. You think nobody's watching you. I can see a lot from up here, all right? When you were itching your nose. (laughs) But there's also been souls saved. Somebody at one point or another probably sat in this chair and raised their hand to give their life to Jesus. Somebody probably raised their hand to receive healing from a broken marriage or an addiction. Maybe a rebellious teenager that wanted to come back to God and get back right with their parents. You know, it's important that you you honor the past. And the fact is that the majority of you, you're, you're sitting in a seat right now because of people that have sacrificed and counted the cost before you. The truth is that these seats, these chairs, are actually at another campus before they were here. Got a lot of hand-me-downs even in church. And and a lot of these chairs are going to go to another campus that we're getting ready to plant. 
but somebody's always had to pay the cost to allow the soul that has sat in the chair. There's no way that I could talk about all those people. And, and truth is, they, they wouldn't even care whether or not I mentioned them or not because it's not about them and they know that. And these are people that it didn't matter what the building looked like. It didn't even matter what the name was on the front of the building. They wanted to reach the city and community. Um, they've been faithful. And it's people like Miss Penny who prepares this house every weekend and cleans it. Um, families like the Hicks and the Westlakes and the Pogues and so many others that have given of their time, surrendered their talents, and sacrificially gave their treasure so that we could be here. So we have to honor that. But the focus is this chair. Because this is a new chair. This is a new chair in our new building. Uh, I don't even know that anybody's actually ever sat in this chair. There's no boogers on it yet. <laughs> no glitter, praise God. It is a new opportunity. And Lord willing, we will wear that thing out for the cause of Christ. Lord willing, it's going to be broken down, torn up because of the amount of people that are going to sit in it and encounter an eternal God that changes them forever. But this is what I know. You have a lot to do with that. You know, in every church, you have renters. And what I mean by that is you can go to a church and like the church, but you just rent the vision. You rent it. You never own it. You never say, yes, I'm all in with everything that I have. And, and you can consume church. You can consume church because you like it. It's comfortable. You, you know, your kids like it, whatever. You can just consume church. Or you can be a contributor to church, to building the body of Christ. In every church, you have those people. You have the contributors and the consumers, the renters and the owners. Even in this body, there are renters. But the heart of God for you is that you make the decision to change from that place for the sake of the person in the chair. For that story, for that testimony. God has been so faithful in allowing us to do amazing things. It really is miraculous that in a, in a community like Cabot, it's not a very big city, in the last five and a half, six years, we've grown over 1,600 people. Hundreds of people have been saved, baptized, children dedicated to the Lord. Countless stories. But you have to buy into this fact. He has more for us to do. 
And the best is not even close to behind us. The best is certainly in front of us. And God wants you to be a part of it. But you still have to choose if you're going to be a part of it. In the year of the Bible reading, I feel like the Lord's kind of given me some grace to tie in the call of reaching the person that goes in the seat with what we're reading this week. Last few days we've been in Ecclesiastes, which is basically Solomon as a crusty old man talking about how everything is meaningless and that anything that you do is just chasing after the wind. Not necessarily the most encouraging stuff ever, but uh, and we're getting ready to get into Song of Songs. Now, here we go. It gets a little juicy up in there. Now, I, I don't, I feel like I'd have to buy you dinner before I'm going to teach you on that book, but uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's a little side note, a little advice for all the merry men in the house. You may want to buy the message translation and read the message translation of Song of Songs to your wife. You want to spice things up a little bit. I'm just saying, this is a little free advice on the side there, but, but we're, we're also getting ready to, to get in Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet, and the prophets, there are these, these men and women used by God to communicate to his people, to challenge them, to warn them, um, to give them a picture of what it would be like if they don't come back to him, if they don't follow his will and word, that if they don't, they're going to be on a path of self-destruction. And, and being a prophet was certainly never easy, and in many t- cases, it was just outright embarrassing. It was very difficult because God would ask these guys to do some really weird things to illustrate, to communicate these points about his plan and his purpose. And uh, things like Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah at one point was, was told to go and get some new underwear and to wear it for a while and then take it off and hide it under a rock and leave it there for a while and then go and get it and put it back on, which is really, really strange but it also gives me a little bit of hope that my boys might have a little bit of a prophetic gifting because they do that kind of thing. Like Isaiah, Isaiah at one point, God told him, strip down, strip down naked, and then I want you to streak around the city, just streak around the city. Now, before you get any ideas, streaking prophets have ceased. Uh, it has, that is Old Testament I would not encourage you to do it. If you get arrested streaking around, I don't think the police officer is going to go for it. But I'm a prophet. <laughs> You're going to go upriver. God asks these guys to do weird things. Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel, uh, God asked him to eat a scroll, paper. <laughs> it's kind of strange. Told him that he needed to cook all of his bread over dried up Cow dung. It's probably not the smoky flavor you would be looking for at your local barbecue place. The point is this. Maybe the thing that God is asking us to do, or the thing that God is asking you to do, that you've been wrestling with, is really not that crazy after all. Maybe it's not as far-fetched as you think. But it's still scary. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be from God because God's only going to ask you to do things that you're going to have to depend on him completely to do it. 
But I believe that he's asking us to believe him for great things, even if it means we have to do things that nobody's ever heard of in the process. Things that make us uncomfortable. He's asking us to take a step of faith. And some of you may be saying, like, yeah, but why me? Because like, I'm no Billy Graham. I don't, I'm not that guy. I'm not that girl. Like, yeah, somebody needs to do something, but it, I don't know that it, it's going to be me. It's somebody else. That guy down on the end of my row, he was really raising his hands and stuff during worship. He seems really super spiritual. That's probably going to be him. But I think that God has a deeper purpose for you. And maybe right now you're realizing that you have settled for the cheap imitation of the life that God truly has for you. And you're ready to take a hold of the real thing and believe him for more. I want to talk about the call of God. A call from God always starts with a need. A call of God always starts with a need. In the book of Isaiah, God is pointing out the fact that Isaiah is living in a culture that is in crisis. He lays out a pretty clear indictment against the nation of Israel and Judah. That these are people that are away from God. In fact, in chapter 5, God uses the illustration of, of a vineyard that is planted on a Fertile hill, the perfect environment, best soil, the choicest vines being used. It was well tended. It was well protected. It was well supplied with everything that it would need to bear good fruit. And this is what he said about it. He expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. The people that God had set apart as a special uh, possession for himself had become rebellious and prideful. They were in debt. and They were sexually immoral. They were no longer the shining city on a hill. They had totally conformed to the culture around them. And there was no difference between God's people and the rest of the world. We can see the result in chapter 1, verse 23. What happens? Your rulers are rebels. They've associated with thieves. All of them love bribery and look for payoffs. Sounds way too familiar. They do not take up the cause of the orphan or defend the rights of the widow. Look, we have to understand that when we turn away from God and we decide that we're going to do it our own way instead of according to his word, when we want to live by our own rules, we get the leaders that we deserve. No matter who gets elected, guess what? We're going to get the leader that we deserve. The question is, what do we deserve? That's a scary thing. That's the reason why it's so important that we're, we're focused as a church on Second Chronicles 7.14, that, that if we, a people called by His name, can humble ourselves and turn away from our wicked ways, that he would pour out his grace on us again. And that's why every morning at 714, every evening at 714, we're just taking a moment, we're, we're interceding on behalf of our nation, we're, we're standing in the gap for a culture that is away from God. It's the reason why that's so important. 
because there's a big problem in the land and somebody needs to do something about it. The call of God will start with a need. But it's answered by people who are humble. Accepting the call of God takes humility. Accepting the call of God takes humility. Let's go to chapter 6, verse 1. This is Isaiah. He's having this incredible, very lifelike vision, an encounter in the throne of God, the throne room of God. This is what it says. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, which big angels, stood above him, each having six wings. With two covered his feet, his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is filled with his glory, and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. Now some of you may feel like you're the center of the universe. You're not. This is actually the center of the universe. The presence of God, the throne room of God. But here's the thing. Instead of looking at all these amazing sights, and Isaiah saying something like, cool, I bet you're glad I'm here. He falls on his face before God. He humbles himself. If you ever want to live the life of purpose and meaning, if you desire the power of God to work in your life, it's always going to start with the knowledge and understanding that you are not God, and He is. And you humble yourself under that knowledge, and you go low and understand who you are in light of who He is. Look what Isaiah says when he sees this incredible spectacle. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, the closer that Isaiah gets to the presence of God, the more unworthy he feels. You ever felt that way, just around the things of God? Some of you feel that way just coming into church. It's like, I just don't, man. Things are rough right now. I know I'm not living in God's will. I'm making a lot of mistakes. I got a lot of sin, and I just... I don't feel worthy. Well, let me tell you the truth. You're not worthy. Welcome to New Life Church, where you can be so encouraged every Sunday. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. But God makes us worthy through His Son, Jesus Christ. God makes us worthy. But it's understanding that and being humble to that. John 15, 16 says, you didn't choose me. This is Jesus speaking. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Fruit abundantly. Jesus picked you. He called you. He sees more inside of you than you could ever imagine on your own. Your potential, what you could do. He's picking you. He wants you to be the person that he created you to be. He has a plan, and if you draw close to him, and if you will humble yourself, 
Just like the word says, if you will humble yourself under his mighty hand, in due time he will exalt you. He will lift you up. If you'll humble yourself. And if you'll humble yourself, he will use you to do things that are amazing and that seem impossible, just like it couldn't ever happen if you could humble yourself. There's so many examples in the word of these people, these men and women that God would choose and use them, but it had to start in a place of just humbling themselves and not knowing all the answers and not having control over everything. At one point, God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to pack up everything. Pack up your family, pack up all your possessions, and it's time to move. So Abraham goes and he packs up Abraham everything. And he, he, he gets his, everything together. And he says, all right, God, I'm ready. Where am I going? God says, none of your business. I'll tell you when we get there. <laughs> See, when you humble yourself, you're less worried about the destination. You're a little bit more concerned with the journey and being obedient and being faithful in every step because his word is a light unto your path and a lamp unto your feet. That's enough. That's all you need. But when you humble yourself, you let God lead you even when you don't know where you're ultimately going. You just trust Him. But you've got to humble yourself to go to that place. Gideon. God comes to Gideon and says, Hey, um, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. You're going to go and fight the Midianites. Not the Mennonites, the Midianites. It's different. There's a hundred, over 100,000 soldiers, okay, 120-something thousand Midianite soldiers. God's like, don't worry, though, you're going to have 300. Go get them, tiger. You see, when you humble yourself, it doesn't matter what the odds are that seem stacked against you. You understand that no matter how the odds are stacked against you, the odds stacked against the cross, the cross always wins. It doesn't matter what it is, but you have to humble yourself and say, I don't care how bad it looks, how impossible it looks. If I'm obedient and humble myself, I'm going to win. And Gideon did. And God got all the glory. That's what he wants to do for you too. If you'll humble yourself. Think about Noah. (laughs) Poor Noah. Noah's just minding his own business. He's a godly man, right? God shows up when when Noah's about 500 years old. Okay? Some of y'all feel like, man, I'm just beyond my prime in the things of God. I'm sorry, that, just, that excuse just is not going to, it doesn't even mean anything. If you're sucking air, God can still use you. But he shows up, he's 500 years old, and he says, hey, I want you to build a boat. What's that? I'm going to give you all the plans. Okay, but it's going to be really big, and I want you to put every living creature on there, your family, their sons, their wives, all that's going to be fine. And I'm going to bring rain. What's that? Because they'd never seen rain. God had used the groundwater to to water the earth. They'd never seen rain before. It never happened before. Well, there's going to be a lot of it, and it's going to flood everything. What's that? Don't worry about it. Just build it. When the floodwaters came, Noah was over 600 years old. So that means that Noah had a boat up on blocks in his front yard for 100 years. Noah was the first redneck. <laughs> Imagine what his neighbors thought about him. Like, I don't, Noah done lost his mind. It was a huge thing 
think it's a butt, a boat. I don't know what it is. It's a big thing. It floats. We're 500 miles away from the nearest ocean. I don't know what he's doing. But when you humble yourself, you don't have to have the full plan. You just trust him. You have to understand, though, that your humility actually activates God's favor. If you want to have the favor of God in your life, humble yourself. If you humble yourself, your humility activates God's favor. Back to Isaiah in chapter 6. Look what happens when Isaiah humbles himself before God. Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me with a burning coal in his hand that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Okay, now all this may sound weird and y'all are like, man, that, ouch. This is a picture of something because the word says that from our hearts, our mouth speaks. Isaiah was humbling himself, but his heart needed to be healed. His heart needed to be made clean. So God sends an angel whose whole job is to glorify him, sends the angel away from glorifying him and sends him to this lowly, pathetic human and says, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal your heart. and I'm going to forgive you. There's so much in this, though, because there's this picture. This angel had to take this coal with tongs. Not even the angel could touch the grace, conviction, and forgiveness that comes from God. But he sends this, and this is God's favor coming into his life. God loves to give his favor to those that humble themselves. God loves you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. And he wants to bless you. There's a job to do. There's a need. And God is not usually going to call the equipped. But he will always equip the called. But you have to answer the call. You have to see the need. Humble yourself. Let God heal you. And then he's going to put favor on you to to accomplish the calling. The last thing is this. You must choose to be available. You got to be available. I heard the voice of the Lord say, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I say, Here am I. Send me. Look, this is not a command. This is a choice. Because even though Isaiah is surrounded by this glory and surrounded by this incredible thing, he still has to choose to be used. He still gets to choose whether or not he does it. And God is not going to force anybody to do it. But he is asking. He's asking. Like, who's going to go for us? Who's going to go? Who's going to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Who's going to actually do something about it? Who's actually going to invite the neighbor? Who's going to actually invite the coworker? Who's going to actually give a rip and do something? Who's going to do it? As we learn 
in Ecclesiastes, look, nothing else in life is going to bring fulfillment other than the call of God. Nothing else is going to bring fulfillment. A few years back in an interview with 60 Minutes, Tom Brady, who's the quarterback of the New England Patriots, he's arguably one of the best quarterbacks of all time. At this point, he had won three Super Bowls. And in that interview, he said this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still believe that there's something else out there for me? I mean, I've achieved my life, my goal, and and, and I think, God, there just has to be more than this. I mean, think about that. This is the dude that literally has everything. Granted, his career's a little deflated right now, but he's going to get back on track at one point or another. But, but he's a guy that literally has everything. At this, this is a while back. He's won four championships now. He's got everything going for him. He's a very pretty man. Very pretty. He married a supermodel. He's got the houses, the cars, the money, and all this stuff. And yet he says, in spite of everything that he's achieved, he knows that there's got to be more. John D. Rockefeller, who was the Bill Gates of his time, during his time, in today's market, his value would be somewhere around $340 billion. That's more money than your mama has. And he was asked one time, when is it ever enough? When have you ever made enough money? And his response is, just a little bit more. (laughs) And that is chasing after the that is grasping for air. Nothing will satisfy like the purpose of Jesus Christ. The call of God. And Jesus called his disciples. And many of them were professional fishermen. He says, but if you'll come with me, if you'll come with me, and you'll, if you'll be obedient to me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. At the end of the day, true followers of Christ will always be fishers. The followers of Christ will always be fishing for people. The followers of Christ will always have fishing stories that they have with fishing buddies. And they'll always be on some sort of fishing adventure. And our prayer would be that no matter where this body of believers exists, no matter where they call home, whatever the structure is that we meet in, that we will always be messy because it'll be a place where fish get cleaned. It's a place where people can get healed. It's a place where people can be set free. But it takes people saying, here am I, send me to do that. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. God, we want to be that church. We don't want to settle. We don't think we've arrived. We know we haven't. before you can be called, before you can truly go, you have to go back to that place where God comes and he touches your heart and he heals you. He forgives you. I think that's a good place. And it's a picture of of salvation for some of you. There might be some of you right now that you feel like you're away from God for one reason or another because of your sin, just because you've never surrendered your life to him. Maybe you just feel cold in relationship to him at this point because you've been away from him for a long time and you need to rededicate your life to him this morning. God has a call. He has a purpose for your life. He wants you to answer that call. He 
It starts with knowing the one who's called you. So if you're that person today, nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, I want to pray with you. I just want you to put your hand up. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. But I want to pray with you this morning. Let's make this decision to be all in for God, to give him our life. Anybody in this room, I need to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. God, thank you, man. Thanks for being bold. Anybody else? I just need to get right with Jesus today. Make sure I see your hand. As soon as I see it, you can put it down. Thanks, man. Thank you. I got you guys. Family over here. Thank you. Praise God. Anybody else? else. just need to get right with Jesus today. I need to rededicate my life and give my life to him. Anybody else? Okay. Lord, I thank you for those, those few folks, Lord. I thank you, God. If this church only existed for those few people, we would do it all over again. That's the heart that you have for them too. And if you just raise your hand, just have a, a conversation with God. Just say, God, here's my life. I know, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've sinned. I can't save myself. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. I surrender my life to you. I ask that you would be my Lord and my Savior. I want to live for you. I'm going to let your word be the standard of my life. I ask that your spirit would help lead me and guide me. Lord, I commit to be connected to the body of Christ, to other believers that are going to encourage me and challenge me and help me. Thank you for that. God, I thank you for every person that just said that prayer. God, I pray that we would continue to be a people, that our greatest desire is to see your kingdom come and your will be done pray that you would set a fire inside of us that when we move into this new building we don't settle and think that we've arrived but we realize that we've just begun and there's so much more that you want to do in us and through us for your glory we thank you for it in Jesus name amen amen let's give God a hand for his word this morning good amen Hey, let's stand. We're getting ready to take our tithes and offerings uh, as the ushers are coming. I want to read a verse out of 2 Corinthians. It's in our year of the Bible reading this coming week. It says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Y'all, I promise you, when you give, God gives back. And I'm so thankful to be part of a church that lives according to this verse. We give, we do whatever it takes to, to reach that next soul, just like James has talked about this morning. Hey, if you're, uh, if, if you're new around here or maybe you're not in a life group yet, maybe that's your first step from here. Get involved in a life group. This is what James was talking about while he was praying. Get involved in a group of people that will help you lead, help you live your life the way you need to. Sign up at the Welcome Center, any of that like that. But let's pray before we before we give. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time. Thank you for this message to our hearts. God, I pray that you would bless us today. I pray, God, that, that you would take this offering that we're about to give and use it for your kingdom, for your glory. God, we thank you for what's going to happen with all of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's give.
It's real.